From shining shoes to managing billions of dollars in the stock market, Mario Gabelli takes pride in his humble beginnings, a kid from the Bronx who grew up to be a legend on Wall Street. Now, after more than 50 years in the business, Gabelli has his sights on an entirely new set of challenges. In this episode of Influencers, I speak with Gamco Chairman about his investing strategy, his outlook for the future, and how he's navigating an environment filled with uncertainty. I'm Andy Serwer. Welcome to Influencers and welcome to our guest, Mario Gabelli, chairman of Gamco Investors, legendary investor. Mario, nice to see you. What a great introduction. Thank you. Good to see you again. So uh, I want to ask you a lot about specific stocks and companies, but I also want to ask you about this rip-roaring stock market and the disconnect between the real economy and your thoughts on that, Mario. Well, you know, it's the, towards the end of August. And you go back to January, February, the market was quite robust. I wound up having a meeting out in Las Vegas at the end of uh, February uh, with Forbes Shrook uh, investor intermediaries. And uh, I prepared my speech on a Friday and a Saturday. I realized it was stale because COVID broke out in South Korea and in Italy. Fast forward, we went into a lockdown and the last two weeks of March were challenging because Everything that can go wrong went wrong. Then we said, what is going to work? Governies and gold. And that did work. And then the Fed came in with a macro stimulation, uh, lots of arrows in their quiver. And uh, then we came in with a fiscal stimulation. And that's what stabilized the market. Now, independent of that, and while that was going on, when individuals were locked down, Andy, those that were born on Fortnite and other e-games decided that, you know, they've got to do something. And so you had a new wave of day traders and speculators. Back in the 60s, when I started in the Wall Street, you had tape readers. The tape would be hours late. They had to shut down on Wednesdays to handle the volume. And fast forward in 1999, you had another set of dynamics, the dot-coms, and doctors would look at their uh, iPad to put in trades. And so this was the new dynamic. And to the degree that you also had interest rates come down sharply, you had growth. The present value of future stream of earnings that are predictable was worth a lot more. So the growth stocks added to golden govies, and uh, there's been a very concentrated flow into a handful of stocks. Right, the fangs, et cetera. Yeah, if you call it that, and you can add uh, Tesla, and you can add Netflix. Right, right. So you're known for being a value investor and also a media investor. And I want to ask you uh, about the old media companies and Comcast, Disney. Are they being replaced by the Apples and the Amazons and the Netflix? What's going on there from a macro perspective? Well, you, last time I counted, you had 7.3 billion people in the world and only 330 million in the U.S. And so on a very narrow basis, uh, clearly, what does the consumer want? Andy, today, today we are in the year 2020. A hundred years ago, aside from the fact that you had the Volstead Act and you had a pandemic, you also had the Industrial Revolution. 
you know, it really was taking fold. Today you have the digital revolution, and the digital revolution requires speed and connectivity. So to the degree that you now have in place broadband speeds and you can have, you know, 25 up, 3 down is not enough. The speed, you got to go to 1 gig. And to the degree that's an enabler, it is the superhighway that President Eisenhower built in the 1950s is now available in the U.S. to transform the digital world. Now, you go to South Korea, you go to Japan, you go to other parts of the world, 5G is already even in place. And it's being accelerating in China and so on. And so we're doing that today. There are auctions every day for Spectrum. They need that bandwidth and so on. So to the degree that I'm Disney, and I know how to communicate with a customer, and I have content, what do you give to the consumer? Give them what they want at the lowest possible price and give it to them anytime, anywhere. And content is still very important. Today, however, availability of packaging that content is center of. Over the next five years, it's going to be who can make it, who can deliver it, and who can give it to the consumer globally. So yeah, uh, Netflix is doing well, uh, Disney and Comcast as a place, Peacock and Disney Plus. But, uh, you know, some of the content providers like uh, Viacom is still around, okay? Uh, you know, Paramount is really a terrific asset, and how do they monetize that? And the uh, Bob Backish is doing a good job of trying. He's got a, a long lead, uh, the competitors have a long lead time. So those are the dynamics that we look at. But at the same time, going back, to your question about the world, March Madness, aside from the market going down, was basketball. And they stopped all sorts of sports and all sorts of travel, all sorts of leisure. And in addition to that, there was a great uncertainty about the banks getting hit. So where do we go next? Does the Live Nation with concerts come back? Do the companies that operate that kind of content have a place in the future, or what do we need in advance? So those are some of the issues that we think about. Let me ask you specifically about Apple, Mario. And I don't know if that's something that you consider, but I guess you have to because it's a $2 trillion company right now. But what about it as an entertainment business and getting into that world? Well, there's clearly the recurring revenues from hitting a button on your machine that says an app, and they get a piece of the revenues. So when you look at it, I look at it differently. What do you want as a consumer? When you drove driving around for five hours, do you want to listen to a news channel? And are you willing to get it on Sirius? Do you want music on Spotify? Do you want it on Pandora? Who is providing the content? So Apple, will they go next? Will they take advantage of their currency and go in and buy and backward integrate and own the content. So what would they like to have? And uh, those are questions. Like in our household, we are big fans of Amazon. Little tiny packages are delivered for an amazing quickness and price, and we don't check price without checking on some instrument on, on, an, on uh, to even compare Costco's prices. So in that context, the companies that, uh, like Apple, would now by the way, put that in more context. If I took all publicly traded stocks in the stock market, according to uh, one of the studies we just saw that came out on June 30th, admittedly six weeks or eight weeks old, it was $88 trillion. Public price times shares, $2 trillion for one company. You know, look, you got to give Buffett credit. 
he did a barbell. He bought the banks, or he had the banks, and then he bought a significant position in Apple. And it's the recurring revenue from the apps, and that is what is being challenged now by organizations like Epic and like Fortnite. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you, you mentioned Netflix before. I'm, I'm wondering if you've given much more thought to that. Is that a company you, you've invested well, in? Well, that's one of my great mistakes. I, when Hastings, I read Hastings raised price, the stock dropped to 78 or 90, and I was bidding 78. And obviously, it's a 10-bagger plus since then. And uh, we own it, not a lot. Uh, we own Apple, uh, though I'm getting inclined to trim it a little. Uh, the problem is it's, you know, it got a very low tax basis, and uh, do I really want to pay that capital gain? On the other side of the coin, come the middle of December, we'll know whether the Senate goes Democrat, in which case taxes will be higher. So we got to, for taxable accounts, we are very tax sensitive. It's not only what you make, but it's what you keep in the investment business. I'm going through a couple names here, a couple more. What about AT&T and that deal with Warner? Still hasn't come to fruition, really, Work in right? progress. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, that will work out. The DirecTV was more of a challenge, okay? And they do have some spectrum assets in that. But on balance, uh, you know, the stock's stuck at 30, and they are paying a big dividend. Um, clearly, they uh, uh, I work in progress. We own it uh, because we owned a company that they bought DirecTV, and we have a low tax basis of 5 to $10 a share. Right. It'll work out, but uh, slowly. And what about um, CBS and Viacom? You mentioned Bob Backus. Well, when you look, uh, great question, because when you look at companies, you know, one time you and I got together down at the old New York Times building, and we talked about Sony at $40 because it had certain values. Within the framework of Viacom, you have 600 million shares in rough numbers. The stock is 2530. Let's call it 30. It's $18 billion. When you buy it, you pick up $17 billion of debt. So you're paying $35 billion. Now, you're a company you just mentioned, Apple, $2 trillion. Amazon, Jeff Bezos wants to own content. Okay, will he buy AMC Entertainment, not AMC, the theater company? You know, walking, uh, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead. And Josh Sapan is really one of the great creators of content. Viacom has that skill set. Now, they have an Achilles heel short term, and that's sports. Football, what happens? We're doing the bubble now in the, the uh, basketball. We're, gonna, we're playing baseball. Will football come back? Uh, you know, these guys breathe on each other. Basketball's the same way. And, but there's a bigger team in basketball and football. Than, so will that be isolated? Will it be renewed? They have contracts coming up. Am I uh, Goodell? Will I want someone like CBS? Yeah, I think so. Will Fox be in there? Sure. Will uh, Netflix or someone else try to get in? Not Netflix necessarily, but uh, someone will do it. Yeah, so, people have been talking about Netflix getting into sports for a long time. They didn't, which now looks smart because it would have been a bad time. But maybe well, I can't answer that as to what's good and bad. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Discovery decided to take stuff in Europe. Uh, they had all the rights for the Olympics. Duh. When is the Olympics going to take place? Has it been postponed to 2021? Is Japan going to sit there with all that infrastructure? Are they going to bring it back? A lot of moving parts. But going back to Viacom, so you have a company that is trying to sell some assets now to reduce the debt. They have the Big Rock at 51st Street uh, building. 
you know, hard to sell it in this environment, but clearly it's an icon. It's a building a one block west of that sold for a significantly higher value than I would have thought they would have gotten, a piece of it anyway. Then in addition to that, they've got some studios uh, space out in California, and they're putting up some other assets. So reduce the debt, stay focused on content creation, and they have a multiple way of distributing that content, and this is a yummy for someone. Now, will Sherry do it? And National Amusements, which controls 40 of the 50 million voting shares, 40 of the 50 million, my clients own maybe half the other voting shares, will she monetize that asset? And if she does it, how does she do it? Now, her father, who I've known for a long time, passed away uh, after his three-year kind of a holding action. And so lots of things in play. In addition to that, National Amusement derives the revenues, Andy, from motion picture theaters, and that's been a challenge short term. People have been waiting to unlock the value of that company for some time. At some point, it probably will happen. I want to ask you about... Well, that's an instant event. I mean, right. that, that may happen in pieces. Why not sell right. a piece of a content capability to reduce, accelerate your debt reduction, but also have the right to distribute your product? You mentioned movie theaters, and I want to ask you about movie theaters. Is that business just kaput? I mean, how is it ever going to come back, Mario? And people getting more and more comfortable seeing stuff at home... Everyone's releasing movies at home now, except for Christopher Nolan. Well, there are several that are, first of all, the, the movie companies, whether it's Paramount or Disney, have lots of content that they put the cash in that's locked up in their library that hasn't been released. You know, SpongeBob the 14th, I'm making that up, but, you know, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, whatever. How do you monetize that? Now, let's step back to answer your question. Last year, 20. 2019, Andy, box office globally was $42 trillion, billion. $12 billion of that was China. My guy in Shanghai, I have an office there, uh, has not yet gone to the movie, but he's taken his daughter to Disneyland. And they spaced it well, so instead of having 80,000 people, they had 25,000 people show, or 20,000. Will the consumer get comfortable in going back to the movie and right now, you're seeing that in the real world. Uh, AMC, the theater company, is opening up some theaters on a limited basis. Uh, but clearly, from my point of view, having watched family members pay a lot of money to go see Hamilton on Broadway, and then for $7, we had the right to do it several times, you know, there's an advantage to uh, both. And uh, we'll see. It's... Uh, the movie theaters are, have the direct-to-the-consumer challenge. Yeah, and it's not an easy solution for that or sports we were just talking about, right? Well, sports are going to be a little easier. I think a year from now, a year and a half from now, you, you have to assume you have a, some kind of a way to deal with the COVID. Which, if you look at the photographs of 1920, they were, baseball stadiums were filled with people with masks on. And the Kansas City Chiefs are starting up with uh, 22,000 people at their opening game. We'll see. 22,000 in attendance, Andy. So that's easier than the theater because it's outside, for instance. That's an advantage. Right. Um, you know, some of the theories were when weather was getting warmer, COVID would slow down. Yeah, duh, let's come up with new theories. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've asked you a lot about media but you have all kinds of other interests as well in terms of investing. What, what are things that are catching your eye these days? Well, they're nothing different. Okay, we have to worry about the planet. 
Okay, uh, there's no question that, you know, what you're having in California is just the tip of the iceberg, the weather changing, the patterns of weather and carbon. Carbon capture and sequestration, when I started following the uh, utility industry 30 years ago, that was the holy grail. Today, it's renewable energy, solar, wind, but transmission, you got to go from the wind where it's blowing to where the demand is. Then you have to have battery storage for the time in which the wind or the sun is not shining. And then you have to have cybersecurity, Andy, because there are a lot of people that can do funny things. And then on top of that, listen, if a 17 or 18-year-old can hack uh, everybody's content, like Bill Gates, uh, imagine what some, somebody can do just tinkering. In addition to that, you need battery storage. We are hosting our 44th annual auto parts conference and bringing in, last year we did it on used car companies. You know, it was part of Carvana, it was part of what's going on in CarMax, it's part of what's going on in AutoNation, Vroom has just hitchhiked on that. But the battery companies are coming in. Will we be able to come up with a battery that can absorb and generate and store, and that becomes a total ingredient? So we're looking at that ecosystem for a while, and we have to own that. The second part is people, do we, and also tied into the planet. Do we want to have protein from uh, non-animal sources, plant protein, and what companies benefit from that? You think immediately about uh, this hamburger company, uh, Beyond Meat, and then Impossible Burger. But there's a company in Canada that's a bargain, that's put tons of cash flow into uh, developing that business. A stock is cheap. It's called Maple Leaf. So there's a lot of ways. Maple to, Leaf? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's located outside of Toronto, uh, like in a suburb, much like Greenwich is a suburb of, of don't want to say that, <laughs> and uh, of some other big city like Boston. <laughs> the, uh, so those are some of the areas that we're investing in. In addition to that, obviously, uh, you know, you have to think about what, how bad is bad for the cyclical bottle company, be it ba banks, oil, travel, and leisure, how good is good, and when will that occur? And then, Andy, when it gets good, how do you get a bigger multiple? What's going to be the ingredient that says, okay, will this stock sell at three times cash flow higher than it would sell normally because they've got some input into a Tesla or the other versions of all of the electric vehicles that are coming down? So that's how we think. We look at every stock, every company with a microscope, and then we look at them with a telescope. I want to get into the green stuff in a minute, but the bottle companies, what was that again? Take us through uh, it again. No, that's B for banks. They have been significantly thrashed, particularly the smaller ones. And why? Because just in case people can't pay their mortgage, will the government come along under some administration and say, don't bother? You took a student loan instead of working, or you took it because you thought you needed it. You know, we got a solution for that. Travel and leisure. Oil. Well, oil well, is the B, o. That's the O, right? Yeah, the oil has dropped to $42 a barrel. And we have to make a transition, obviously, away from carbon. But the necessary transitionary fuel is nat gas. And so where is the nat gas play? What companies will do well? Now, yesterday or last night, it was announced that Exxon's coming out of the Dow Jones. Yeah. And they're putting in Honeywell and they're Amgen. Amgen and Salesforce and dropping. So the weightings in this index fund, I just got off track on that, but that's an element. So that's the bottle. Will you go to a hotel to go see the Consumer Electronics Show? 
Will you go to Las Vegas with 120,000 people to go to that kind of a gathering? When will you do that? Well, will you go gamble? Will you, you won't go to the Kentucky Derby because they're doing it virtually. Will you do it next year? So the question is timing, but not if. Do you own Tesla? As you talk about these green stocks, and you well, mentioned Tesla. I have a problem Tesla. with Tesla. I think, you know, the, he, Elon Musk, when you think of SpaceX, when you think about what he does, in quotes, the boring uh, capability of d d uh, drilling tunnels, and think about the ingenuity that he's brought to this company, it's phenomenal. However, when I take the number of shares and multiply it by 2,000, I get $400 billion. And I, you have about five years to grow into that valuation. If I multiply the number of cars today in the world, we're going to produce 80, 90, 82 million. By the year 2025, let's go to 100 million. Are we going to have 10% or 10 million of those electrics? And then on the, today you have 1.2 billion cars on the road, Andy. 1.2 billion in the world. You know, maybe we'll have one four in the world. And yes, we have to substitute uh, some kind of a dish of the fuel, whether it's somebody at MIT coming up with a hydrogen-powered, uh, will it be, uh, you know, nothing better than water and gas, uh, water and uh, air, and uh, so on. So w that's work and play. Just think about 100 years ago when Henry Ford came down with the assembly line, the Model T, any color you want for black. And uh, today, uh, electric vehicles are the holy grail of the environment that we're all a part of, whether it's in Europe. And secondly, it's also part of what is a new style of investing, which is ESG, right. environmental, social, and governance. But also, it probably is connected to these people getting in and buying stocks and that kind of hyped-up market that you talked about. Well, there's no question that momentum investing is alive and well. And what goes up, you want to buy. The stocks that I buy are going down, and that's what I like to buy. The unloved and ignored. You know, that's always the fun part of the world. Uh, you know, when we read it, people tell me, all oh, the data is all available. I, I called up a company in uh, Batavia, New York. I don't think anybody's called them in six months. They pick up the phone. I ask the questions. All material on public information. You read the annuals, you know the industry, you follow the companies on a, a, so you have a motion picture of the industry, you have a snapshot of the company, and you have a telescope. And will the stock triple in three years? Yeah, 10% probability. 50% that'll be up uh, 100% in a year and a half. What stock is it? I didn't say it, but uh, since you're going to talk about the success of the Graham and Dodd, it's Graham. GHM, the stock is $13, as uh, 11 million shares out. And they have stuff that's intriguing. And there was another one up there called Gibraltar. So I was going to go up and fly up, but... What do they make? Uh, Graham makes stuff for the uh, silos for big cement uh, kilns. They make stuff for the Navy in terms of uh, material that they're using in the nukes and so on. Simple industrial company. Located upstate New York. Great balance sheet. $100 million in cash. No debt. You're so passionate about this stuff, right? Well, it, that's what I live for. I mean, you know, Buffett taps dance to work. In fact, I decided not to take any compensation for the rest of this year so I can pay for the health care of the workers and give some money to charity at the company level to the shareholders. Well, let me ask you about you a little bit, Mario. You grew up not too far away from here, right? But it's a, a different world from where you grew up, right? Yeah, that was a great place. I was, uh, I got, I was able to walk in the streets at the age of three or four today your parents would be in jail. I was able to start a business at the age of five or six. I took an old army munitions box, put a shoe shine kit on it, 
at the, there was something called the 3rd Avenue L in New York, at 174th. The second thing, I was very fortunate. We grew up on Bathgate Avenue on 174th, between 174th and 169th in the Bronx. It was like Orchard Street in Manhattan. There were little shops. And I would go out and negotiate with these guys. You think I can do this faster than you can in terms of three pounds of bananas at 17 cents and the scale says 3.2 pounds? What do they say to you? Uh, Well, you know, a nickel. (laughs) I bet you a nickel you can or I'll sell you a banana for free. So you were one of these kids who was just an entrepreneur out there hustling, making money because you loved it. Well, there's a second part. I didn't know exactly what to do, okay, whether you, uh, you know, played cards or whatever you did in the streets in the uh, city at that time. But then about uh, 11 or 12 or 13, I started caddying. And uh, when the specialists came up, I was the only one of the few around. Uh, And so they talked stocks. And I said, interesting. So I started buying stocks at the age of 13 or 14, like a lot of individuals that, you know, were caddies. And uh, there was a caddy scholarship. I couldn't take it out of the state of New York. And uh, the other part was interesting, since you ask. One of the clubs, aside from Wingfoot, was uh, Sunningdale. And uh, there was a guy by the name of Whitey Voigt was the pro. And he had a son, Wellesley, that became a rock star singer. And another one, John, Voight, and I used to shag for him, which means you go out, they hit balls, you bring them back, and you paid 50 cents. John Voight. Yeah, he was an assistant pro there. So I feel like I have a kinship with Angela Jolie. Right, by extension. By extension, of course. Got it, got it. And so you just naturally gravitated into the markets that way. Yeah, I, I, I bought stocks, and I would read Business Week at the time, before Michael was along buying it. I would read the Journal American, which came out at night to get your quotes. You know, there wasn't a thing like uh, Yahoo or CNBC that you can track on television. Uh, but then what really happened, and I was very fortunate, I went to uh, Columbia Business School, and I had a class with a f- Roger Murray. Roger taught me security analysis, and my classmates were Cooperman and Sandberg. And uh, Art just uh, passed away recently. Yeah, he did. Sad. Great life, great legacy, a great individual. And uh, basically what we learned was doing research by looking and picking the details of a company, and that has stayed with me. And so that's why you asked me before about tap dancing to work. It's what I trained on. So is this fundamental way of Picking stocks dead. I mean, you, you always people ask that, but ETFs, there's algorithms, there's the you momos, know, the algos. Look, passive. When you get what Renaissance did, which is brilliant. When yes. you see what Virtu did, is brilliant. Okay, uh, what you saw with the specialists on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange was different, and they input to position themselves with the book. Now they're doing that electronically. Uh, what I don't like is pay to play. You know, the order flow. I don't like that Robinhood has come along without putting electronic fence around individuals and tell them don't start by buying options and buying puts. The sadness of that individual that got a margin call of 700000 and committed suicide before you read all the details, that should never be allowed to happen. And you've got to put electronic fence around the system. On the other side, capitalism is alive and well. You have to allow, you know, uh, I believe in Japan in the 80s, it was Mrs. Wantanabe, I'm not pronouncing it right, and today you're dealing on the star system in Shanghai. Uh, Ant is going public. You'll see all of the individuals come out to buy that. So there's a lot going on. And uh, so from my end, it was fundamental research, 
look at a company one at a time to the degree that you come along and put together electronic means to the degree that you bundle it and you want to trade it. Yeah, but again, those are trading sardines. We want to invest in businesses that we have an understanding of. What are they worth in three or four years? Is the management coming to work every day to work for the shareholders, work for the company and other stakeholders? And those are the issues. Right, right. Just a couple last questions. I was remiss. I didn't ask you about Berkshire Hathaway, which is a holding of yours. I mean, I see you at the annual meeting yeah, year no, after uh, year. Yeah, we've been there uh, 15 years. I, we sponsored the dinner on Friday night. It was done by Alice Schroeder before uh, when she was at Morgan Stanley. Warren decided not to do it anymore. So I called him up. I said, Warren, your guest list, my nickel? He said, no. I said, how about Columbia's guest list, my nickel? He said, great. So for the last 10 or 15 years, we've hosted the dinner on Friday night across at the, at the Hilton. And uh, I think last year or two years ago, we moved up to the Marriott, but we're back to the Hilton. This year was virtual. So I go there. When I started the mutual fund, the Gabelli Asset Fund, somewhere around 31 years ago, we bought it. And I think we still have it at around $2,000 a share. You know, patience, uh, it's uh, not done well in the last year, but it didn't do well in 1999. And uh, everybody booed in 1973-4. He probably said, you know, I'm not smart anymore. Or somebody told him he took dumb pills. Warren is a, a special person, a different style. But it's the methodology that Graham, Dodd, Murray, and Greenwald, the professors at Columbia and others that have followed that around the country, including a Jim Kelly at Fordham University and the guys at uh, uh, Wharton and the guy at uh, uh, Stanford, those individuals have a style. That doesn't mean DFA doesn't do well. They've done exceptionally well. Packaging products, and then Larry Fink has done it, and then obviously Vanguard. Now, the question is, is there an unlevel playing field between ETFs and open and mutual funds? And the answer is yes. And it's, uh, Without getting technical, it's 852B6, a section of the IRS code that allows them to wash out uh, gains without paying a tax. Not fair. Somebody will have to deal with that. Academics should be focused on, and there's several that have. So there's a lot going on. Final question. I mean, you were so passionate, as I said earlier about this. You see yourself just doing this forever? I am uh, three-quarters of the age of this country. No, I am not. I'm, what am I? I'm a third of the age of the country. Sorry about that. And uh, basically, I'm 12 years younger than Charlie, 15 years younger than Munger. So you got a lot of time. A long runway, hopefully. Independent of that, we have an election coming up in the next 70 days, and obviously we have to worry about what's going to happen. What are the taxes? Will capitalism be around? What is the different societies? Okay, my first time to China was 1981, and uh, you saw certain dynamics of change. My first visit to uh, Central Europe was just before the Berlin Wall came down, and I went into Budapest, and I said uh, they were, couldn't get telephones. Meanwhile, the Russians were building a a, a steel mill a mile down the river. Uh, and I'm saying, why are you doing that when you should build telephones? Centrally planned economies have a challenge. So you learn a lot. But taxes are going up. We've got to pay for what's going on. And my taxes are going up, and they should. Does that mean Biden's going to win? Uh, the, you've got three senators to shift the vote. There's 53 Republicans. They only lose three. If Biden wins, uh, the uh, vice president will uh, have the breaking vote, and taxes will go up. What I hope is that they 
understand that they have to attract companies from outside the United States back to the United States, and the offshoring of and logistics should come back. Taxes are an important element of companies relocating to the United States. Today at 21 and territorial tax versus global, you are extraordinarily good shape. If you go to 28 and keep territorial, and I don't think most lawyers understand territorial versus global, as long as they keep that, we'll, we'll be okay. And it's not a big number. You know, it's $80 billion probably when you go from 21 to 28%. So uh, we'll see. But you have a challenge. And cities like New York is another challenge. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Mira Gabelli, obviously a lot more for you to keep track of in the days, months, and years ahead. Thank well, you so much for your time. thank you, Andrew. You always ask great questions and always fun to be with you. Appreciate it. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.